1: and gentlemen uh this episode of tangentially speaking is a very special one both because the guest is a very special person and because uh i'm co-hosting this rare event where i co-host an episode and also co-releasing uh with anya kotz whose podcast is called a millennial's guide to saving the world if you listen to that podcast which you should you'll notice that uh We both released this episode at the same time. So if uh, you'd rather listen to her intro, you can just stop this and slide on over to a Millennial's Guide to Saving the World and you can hear the same conversation. Um, The conversation is with a woman named Callie Russell, who is a phenomenally interesting woman. Uh, If you watch a TV show called Alone you will already know who she is because she was one of the last three people um, to still be surviving in the wilderness after, I think, 89 or 90 days, uh, 40 degrees below zero uh, up in uh, northern Canada, the Northwest Territories. Um, I haven't seen the show, to be honest, um, but my buddy, uh, Kevin Russell... I should say our buddy, Kevin Russell, uh, mentioned Callie to us last time we were in the van trip up in Montana. He said, man, I've got this cousin you guys should meet. She's really something. She wanders around the Southwest with a few goats for months at a time, just hanging out by herself. She like skins her own hides and hunts and fishes and traps and like lives off the land. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we tried to meet up with her last year, but I guess she was out of town or something. Uh, she spends the summers up in Montana, and uh, this year we made it. We got to, to hang out with her, and it happened to be the night after the final episode of uh, the season, um, so she was doing a lot of media, and she was really uh, sort of, her schedule was very full, so it was uh, a real pleasure and an honor that she made some time to hang out with us and do this recording And uh, and then when we turned off the microphones and the recorder, we hung out by the fire and drank wine till two o'clock in the morning. So I'm still a little, a little uh, ragged from that. Give you an idea of where I am right now. I am I'm in a hammock, uh, hanging uh, a little above the Clark Fork River, which is uh, between Saint Regis and Plains. Montana. So if you look on a map, you'll see that river. It's beautiful. I just took a little dip, and now I'm in the hammock between a couple of Doug firs. Oh, which reminds me. I misspoke. Uh, if you listen to the last Roma, I was talking about how I'd learned... That a certain kind of tree, the bark smells amazing. And I think I said it was Doug Fir. I'm sure I did because a couple people wrote to me. It's not Doug Fir. Oh, it is Doug Fir. Sorry, it is Doug Fir. I said it was Ponderosa Pine. That's it. So if you went out and you smelled a Doug Fir and you're like, eh, I, don't, I don't smell vanilla. I don't know what he's talking about. That's because I fucked up. It's uh, Ponderosa Pine. That smells like Vanilla. If you get your nose right up next to the bark, not Douglas fir. So my apologies to those of you who went out and smelled the wrong damn tree. Um, So I've been thinking about the way men treat women recently. And uh, it sort of came to a head when I was having this conversation with uh, Callie and Anya. I know a lot of really smart Beautiful, strong women And uh, that's one of the Great luxuries and and, uh, Benefits of, of my life That I have women like that around And I know them pretty well And almost every one of them Has told me That They didn't know they were beautiful They didn't know that they were smart. They didn't know that they were admirable. Because the men that they had been with, and I mean, they didn't know until, you know, way later than they should have in life. Because the men that they had been in relationships with had never told them that. In fact, they told them the opposite. They undercut them and minimized... their sense of self-worth and I it it amazes it just amazes me I was floating down the river uh, the Flathead River a couple maybe a week ago with one of these friends and I had said something to her about how beautiful she is and I know that comes across as creepy sometimes I know that If people don't know me and don't know my intentions and don't know where I'm coming from, especially in American culture, because we're so twisted and weird about that stuff that it can come across as like, "Ooh, why is this old guy telling me I'm beautiful? You know, you could be my father, whatever. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is I see something beautiful, someone beautiful, and I just want to acknowledge it. And whether it's a sunset or it's a rainbow or it's a waterfall or it's a river or it's a woman. And and I hope that doesn't come across as objectifying. Uh, women are animals. We're all animals. We're all physical objects. We all occupy bodies. Um, and when I say someone's beautiful I normally mean something much more than in a physical sense but even if you're just commenting even if you're just saying my god your eyes are beautiful in this light right now that's not reducing anyone that's that's not saying you are nothing other than that it's not diminishing someone's intelligence or spiritual depth or complexity or anything else this is a peculiarly American hang-up um, that we are so twisted up and afraid of these things. And of course, you know, it's getting worse, right? People's careers are ending because they, you know, Al Franken put his hand on a woman's hip when she asked to take a photo with him, and then suddenly he's drummed out of the Senate. It's It's insane. So I understand why people are overly cautious, but I think it's, one of these things where everyone loses. It's like you know when doctors told parents they should never touch their children unless they were spanking them. You know, like oh great, who nobody wins from that kind of misinformation. Um, anyway, my point is, I'm speaking mostly to guys here. Um, you know, there's there's a you want to impress women, right? You want to you want them to feel that you've got something that's worth their time. So the way a lot of men impress women is to try to seem stronger and smarter and more competent than they really are. Now, this is problematic in many ways. One is it makes you feel like you're always about to be exposed. She's going to figure out that you're not as cool or as smart or as confident or you don't have as much money or whatever as you've insinuated or as you've pretended so you go, you enter into a relationship feeling already like you're an imposter, and in order to prevent her from discovering that you're not all that, what a lot of men do is undercut her self confidence so that she feels lucky to be with you, which is such a weird thing. It's it's understandable, and I'm not saying I've never done it. I think I did do that. Uh, In my 20s, probably. Um, But I sure hope I haven't done it recently. Because I understand how it works. You make her feel that she's not really that valuable. So she's not able to... She's not going to do any better than you. So she might as well stick around. And also, a lot of women have a a tendency to want to please you. So if you undercut her, she's going to work harder to make you happy. And so you kind of never quite give it to her, never quite admit how happy you are with her, and she'll keep trying harder and harder. And, of course, this is related to the whole negging thing that was made famous by the game. Uh, This uh, pickup artist... Nonsense, where you make a woman feel that she needs to prove something to you. But the problem with this kind of thinking is that what you end up with, I guess in a best case scenario, is a woman who is uncomfortable with herself because she's been told everything that's wrong with her and nothing that's right with her. And that is not really a woman that you want to be with. The woman you want to be with is happy, is content, is comfortable, feels acknowledged and loved and honored. And so we shoot ourselves in the foot because not only are we hurting someone else, but we're hurting Ourselves. So I was just thinking about it. This has all been percolating because I was on the river a week or so ago. Um, I think I mentioned I, that I. Uh, I was there was a woman that part of our group who's super beautiful, and she's with her boyfriend. There's nothing creepy. I wasn't trying to pick her up or anything, but I just sometimes I just looked at her and the way the light hit her eyes and she's just beautiful and I said so and um, a couple hours later she paddled over to me and she said uh, I just want to thank you for seeing me because until very recently until the boyfriend she's with now who's a fantastic dude until him I was with men who They never said I was beautiful. They never made me feel or even let me feel that I was beautiful. And as I said, I've heard this from so many different women. So guys, if you're out there and you're with a woman, obviously you're with her because you love her, because she's beautiful. Don't be stingy tell her that she's gonna stick with you more if you make her feel beautiful than she is if you make her feel unbeautiful if you nourish that part of her she's much less likely to dump your sorry ass than if you undercut her and make her feel miserable and afraid which is what A lot of guys do. And women. If you're with a guy. Who isn't giving you that. Who's being cheap with that. Maybe it's time to stop asking. What's wrong with you. And start asking what's wrong with him. Okay. Those are my words of wisdom. I hope you enjoy this conversation. With Callie Russell. And Anya Kotz. Two very strong beautiful women. Uh, And there isn't an awkward moment where I say that. So listen for that. (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for listening to this podcast. This one's sponsored by absolutely nobody except those of you who support the podcast. By the way, uh, I'm about to record the August video Roma, which is available to uh, people who support the podcast through my website, thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com. Same website, two different names. Uh, you can support the podcast for as little as $2 a month, ladies and gentlemen, and you have access to the video romas every month, as well as eBooks, And uh, I think I'm going to do a, a video tour of the van, which will be available to members of the Chris Club, I think we're calling it. I'm not sure. That sounds crazy, but I think that is what we're calling it. All right, that's enough from me from the Clark Fork River somewhere in western Montana. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and uh, something else beginning with age. I'm going to play you out with one of my all-time favorite Strong Woman songs. Uh, I heard this the other day and I thought this would be an excellent song. Like if I were a UFC fighter, it'd be better for a woman, actually for a woman, UFC fighter, who's like coming into the ring, you know, wearing the robe and the, the entourage and the screaming crowd and the theme music playing, uh, you know, that like Colin McGregor used to do that or Connor, Connor McGregor, you know, have this great sort of very theatrical intro. If you're a woman UFC fighter out there listening to this, you should get the rights to this song and playlist when you come to the gym. Your opponent will be totally terrified. It's called Long Time Coming, and uh, it's sung by Leela James. And I think the album is A Change is Gonna Come. Check it out. Get ready to get on down, people. Talk to you next week. was just drinking my beer.
2: <laughs> and actually, I would welcome any bacteria that you get from sharing a beer with a goat because uh, a good friend of mine just told me this sort of like health guru guy said that he hasn't been sick since he was in his since he was 20 and because he does this one thing every week and that is go down to the cow trough and have a drink of water from the cow trough every week because they have all this beneficial gut flora and then he has that by sharing the water with them yeah and i can look up who that is because he's a well-known person but
1: i just I lick thinking. my dog's balls that's that's the see same that's thing. different though <laughs> good try but no
3: i
2: don't dogs have a dog don't have the same <laughs> Gut fora. yeah. And
3: I would imagine some cows also, depending on where the cows are.
2: Yes, being raised.
1: That's true. Yeah. That's true. I have a friend who's an expert in microbiome, and mm-hmm. he spends half the half his time in uh, Tanzania with the Hadza. Sweet. And he talks about how they drink out of like stagnant puddles, yeah, with all sorts of stuff swimming around in yeah. it, and and they eat. Um, you know, when they kill something, they will throw the intestines on the fire for, you know, five seconds, just singe the outside, but there's still shit inside there and they just eat it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, if you survive childhood, that stuff's good. Yeah. Yeah. Childhood can be a bummer. 40% (laughs) die in, in childhood, but you make it through that, you're going to be good. Good to go. All right. We are here, uh, on a mountaintop overlooking the Flathead Valley in Montana, with Callie Russell, who is a newly minted TV star, apparently, apparently. as of, like, yesterday. Or no, no, the show's been on for a while, right?
2: This whole summer, so I, it started early June, and but the finale was just last night, right. so...
1: Alone, it's called. I haven't seen it. I, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I yeah. was telling somebody yesterday, like, oh, yeah, she's on Survivor. And there,
3: He was like, have you ever heard of the show Survivor? And they looked at him like, <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> and he's Obviously. like, that's not what it's called. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not super TV. Yeah, know.
2: yeah uh, me neither, actually. Yeah. Isn't um, that weird? Yeah, I, I'm not a TV watcher. I mm-hmm. haven't had a TV since I... For over a decade, and okay, and there's, there's a goat goats on the
1: countertop. <laughs> I told you there were goats here, people. There's a goat in the kitchen. All right, yeah, Callie's going to go over there, and uh, she's spraying a water bottle at the goat. The goat doesn't really seem to be that.
2: Yeah, reluctantly obedient.
1: Yeah, like kind of like all right.
2: She really wanted to eat the, well, I mean, it is tempting. You it's
1: spend like putting, a lot of time with goats. I do. Kevin was telling me mm-hmm. you, in the Southwest as well, or mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. the same goats or you have different herds in different parts of the country or how's that work?
2: Same. Well, it's complicated for now. It's going to be the same goats. Um, but I used to have goats for four years. I basically lived with a goat herd. And then I took a break from goats and then just recently got back into them. So Mm -hmm. it's new goats, but it will be these goats from here on out.
1: So you'll, like, put them in a truck and take them down south? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Why
2: goats, specifically? Goats, because... They're so distracting. That's why. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be distracted from your life, just...
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of people looking for that these days. Forget yeah. video games. Get a goat. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. Um, goats, well, I mean, it's there's a whole story to it, but basically I wanted to be able to live in the wilderness and relearn the skills of our ancestors. I wanted to learn to be a hunter-gatherer, basically, but I didn't grow up with that lifestyle. And to me, goats were a bridge back to that lifestyle, and they allow me to spend a long time in the wilderness. And when I was learning these skills, they allowed me to spend a long time out in the wilderness before I knew how to hunt, trap, um, forage for plants. So that's why goats...
1: So when you're in the wilderness with goats, are you drinking the milk? Is that why they allow you to spend more time? Because they're a source of food?
2: Yep, they're a food source. So, yeah, the milk is huge um, because why I was learning to hunt, what like eat the wild plants and fish and all those things, if I was unsuccessful, which obviously when you're learning, that's most of the time, yeah. I knew at the end of the day I would have that milk. So I had those calories Right, and I could stay out. And then they also offer packing abilities. Mm. Um, they're trained pack goats, so they can carry things, you know, just like people use llamas or horses, but, um, there's different trade-offs. Um, you can't ride them like you would ride a horse obviously, but they can do a lot of things that a horse can't, they can get to places horses can't, Mm. their diet is much more diverse than horses. So they can, um, eat. They're foragers, so they eat leaves and bramble and all kinds of things and where horses just eat grass. Um, so you can they can survive in a lot of places. Horses can't and climb things. Horses can't. <laughs> and um, and then they're
1: also a source of... Like th- the countertop in yeah. the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. we are not going to get a horse <laughs> up on the bar. Hey, yeah, we no, were, don't worry, there's nobody up there.
3: We were warned to close the van doors, which yeah. I'm perpetually pretty terrible at. But
1: Yeah, we have a mouse living in the <laughs> van now. Uh, but uh, maybe the goats would have chased the mouse out. Who knows how those things work. Do the goats attract predators when you're out in the wilderness? Yeah, they do. Yeah. You have an ant about to go in your pants. Oh, <laughs> thank you. By the way, those are the sexiest hiking pants I've ever seen, I think. <laughs> She's wearing... Well,
3: thank you. I think Ke- they're supposed to be practical. Yeah, but... <laughs> Kelly's wearing
1: <laughs> uh, uh, hiking yeah. pants with a vent uh, on the thigh <laughs> that is open, and it's like, I don't know. I, I once gave... Uh, This is a long story, which I won't get get into, but I had a friend who was a stripper in Portland, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was leaving town, and she invited me and my buddy to come by and say goodbye, and she was working the afternoon shift, so we went to the strip club. And also, I had told her I'd give her my tent because her she split up with her boyfriend, and the boyfriend kept her tent, and it was what this big shirt. thing. <laughs> yeah, this and happened I was to like, me
2: before actually. And she loved <laughs> it. Like, she really? had just
1: hiked the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's like, you know, she's like, I love that tent. I slept in that tent all summer, and and and. He's being a. I was like, oh, you yeah, fuck the dude. I'll give you my tent. I have this really nice tent. So we go to the strip club and uh, she's dancing and my buddy's like, well, we have to tip her. I was like, do we? Like, even though we know her? And she's like, yeah, we should. I was like, oh yeah. I put my tent on the stage. (laughs) So I tipped a stripper (laughs) with a tent in Portland classic Portland only
2: moment. in Portland yeah.
1: only in Portland exactly in any <laughs> other town was... that would not have been well received yeah
2: it? and it, she was thankful too like sweet. oh hell yeah yeah
1: damn $400 tent it's best tip she ever got <laughs> yeah anyway some so, somehow the slit in your hiking pants reminded me of a Portland stripper getting a tent tip I don't know my podcast is called tangentially speaking and that's why
2: <laughs> perfect
3: works with me yeah we were talking about prey I think
1: Prey! Oh, go- oh, predators! Like if the goats I mean, attract yeah. mountain lions and bears and stuff. Right.
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And in the previous herd that I had, I started out without a dog, and then one night I was woken up to a horrible sound and a mountain lion attached to my goat at the neck and dragging her out of camp, and um, I actually saved that goat. Hmm. she lived um and then I got a dog
1: (laughs) I think you're bearing the lead here how did you save the goat
2: um with so I can tell the whole story if you want I'll still Hmm. tell just a you know just a brief I'll tell the brief version of the story but I was camping in the southwest um with my partner at the time in our herd of goats and the goats had just given birth and it was this really beautiful time in the spring. The cottonwood leaves were just coming back on. And, um, then, um, and there were always javelinas that would pass through at night and I would hear them. I'd get out of bed and go check. Okay, cool. It's just javelinas. The goats are good. Everything's fine. But then this night, um, it wasn't fine. I went out there and this mountain lion was on this goat, Lily Rose, and she had her by the neck and she was emanating the most powerful force I had ever felt because I was ten feet away from her. And it was just amazing the primal instincts that kicked in within me. I was totally asleep and then I just woke up before I even, my eyes were still like fuzzy from sleep. I knew what was going on, that it was a mountain lion, that the goat was still alive, that I needed to save her. And I was yelling at the mountain lion. I was like, give me back my goat, you know? (laughs) And I wasn't fearful at all. What came over me was like, a motherhood sort of protection. Like that's my goat. You eat something else. That's my goat. I protect her. And so I just, that mountain lion was not wanting to back down. She was so fierce. She was a mother trying to feed her own kids. And she was like, Oh hell no, this is my goat. I'm eating this goat. And I was like, no, it's my goat. (laughs) And so we had this stare down in the middle of the night in the Southwest. And she was slowly dragging her behind Um, she wasn't a very big mountain lion. That's, I think she, I'm pretty sure it was a mother and, uh, she was dragging her out of camp down this little footpath and I just followed her with every step she took back. I took a step and I had my headlight in her eyes and I was yelling at her and I called my partner who was still sleeping. I was like, grab my 22. I had this 22 from my grandpa, um, Kevin's uh, grandfather, uh, too. And, um, and I was like, grab the gun, like we can save this goat. And he came out, he took a shot, but she, uh, he didn't, he missed her, which I'm happy about because I don't really want to kill predators. I don't want to kill mountain well, 22
1: lions. might not kill her anyway.
2: Um, we were shot 10 feet away head. from her, yeah, yeah. 10 feet. Right. So in the, in it with a good shot, yeah. it could have. Um, but she ran up the mountainside and, um, Lily Rose just flopped over like a swan Um, and like her neck was swanned over and just bleeding everywhere. And, I thought she was a goner for sure, but then um, I was like, oh my gosh, Lily Rose is going to die. How am I going to feed her baby she just had two days ago? But then she just jumps up. Her motherhood instinct, she was like, I have to find my babies. And she ran back to the tent. And I was like, oh my gosh. like, okay, we're saving Lily Rose. And then I go and find all, her neck was just all these puncture wounds. Every time I was dressing a wound, I'd find another one. And her esophagus and trachea were torn open. And, um... Oh, we doctored her up, all with plant medicines, um, no stitches, all all the plants of the Southwest that were there, we used to doctor her up, and it took a long time, like a month of doctoring her bandages, but she lived, and her babies survived, and it was incredible. Goats are mm. wow. freaking strong.
1: Yeah. Do you eat goats? Yeah, I do. So you harvest them yep. as well?
2: Yeah, so they're also a source of meat, <clears throat> right. hides, bones, right. fat.
1: Huh.
2: Yeah. Yeah, incredible. I mean, you can get you can just live off of a herd of goats. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: How are we going to coordinate this? I know. There are going to be long pauses where we don't want to interrupt each other. (laughs) This is the. I think we told you this is the first time we've done this together. This is the first time. Yeah. Yeah, we did it
3: one other time. We haven't released the episode yet, but but that was very yeah. The person we were interviewing was having a really hard time with his hearing, so we just sat there in silence and wrote questions, and he just answered them in yeah
1: he's an old guy he's he's my graduate school mentor so
3: it's like we did it but we were silent yeah I mean there there wasn't (laughs) a question
1: of you know taking turns or letting you I
3: think I think you just not think about it I think we'll be fine we'll be all right I just
1: don't want to dominate you know Uh. mansplain yeah you know man podcast that'd be a good good name for a podcast <laughs> the mansplainer <laughs> uh, <laughs> um i i wanted to sort of get to the beginning of this cuz as i mentioned to you earlier when i was a kid uh i was born at you know 30 years before you or something but uh when i was a kid like native american uh culture was The rage, You Mm -hmm. know, like hippies were wearing buckskin. There's all this back to the land, you know, nature worshiping was sort of coming back. People were tripping and going out in the woods and, you know, get away from the, you know, the system. And, you know, and here I am 58 years later writing, I just published a book called Civilized to Death. It's a, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of um, a critique of civilization, Mm -hmm. which I, in some ways I feel I kind of wrote, um, as, a, as an act of, of respect and uh,
3: gratitude.
1: Gratitude. and But I was going to say, like, like, I don't know, like a sense of shame as well. You know, yeah. like I, I'm from the culture that fucked it all up. Mm-hmm. And I feel some responsibility to acknowledge what's happened, the true story of what's Absolutely. happened. Um, but anyway, for me, I mean, I kind of feel like that's where my fascination with uh north american indian tribes came from and you know as i told you i would come home from school put on a loincloth uh you know i was curing skins in the backyard this is a suburbia um where did it come from for you why, why do you think you resonated with this so deeply
2: right well for me a few things happened um one When I was um, seven years old, I lost both of my brothers. Um, They both died in two separate occasions in the same year. And that um, face with death at such a young age really shaped me and what I wanted my life to be about. I knew that I couldn't take life for granted and I wanted to get the most out of it. And so that happened for me. And also at a young age, I sort of pieced together like, okay, we go to school and then high school and then college and then a job. And then you can buy a house and work the job and pay for the house and have a family. And that's the goal of life. And I was like, oh, well, that seems sort of disappointing that that's all that that's my life purpose. And um, so I felt that as a, as a young person. And then when I learned as a teenager, I learned about the modern food industry um, and how disappointing that is. And at the same time was learning about cultures, pre-industrialization and all those things together fueled me to. I just had this deep desire to learn about the old ways. I felt like for me to move forward in the world and to know where to go in the world, I had to look back. I had to look into the past. And I just became obsessed with living out. I was... Obsessed with the idea of living outside. Mm. I wanted to live outside and I had no idea how to do that, but I knew that people had done that for a long time, a lot longer than we'd been living in cities and with industry and agriculture. And so I just became obsessed with that. And um, uh, after college, I finally had the courage. I kind of studied those things um, and learned them as about them as much as I could. And then after college, I finally got the courage to just go and just, start immersing myself out in the wild and there's obviously a lot to the story it's hard to wrap it up in a little tidy bundle but i was working as when i was also a teenager i worked um at the conservation corps in oregon on a trail crew and that was living outside all summer, working on trails with a group of people, peers. And, and um, there was like young 20s that were our, like group leaders. And we worked hard outside all day. And we sat around the fire and laughed and joked and sang songs and ate food. And this was coming when I was, you know, 15. I was so angry about just everything. I was learning about human history and I just mm-hmm. got very Very upset And really depressed too Because I was living in the city And I felt depressed, confused All the things that I think aren't, you know Aren't strangers to most of us Those Hmm. feelings um, Stress, anxiety And then when I was living with the trail crew I was like, this is amazing I feel so good I feel so happy I want to do this kind of thing all the time Mm -hmm. And then I got a job Hi Borte (laughs) Hello There's a goat right here She's breathing Yeah,
1: we should get a picture of the goat Where's, Where's the phone? That's uh, you, you <laughs> they'll, the they'll be
2: around. There yeah. will be many goat
1: photo ops. Yeah. Do
2: you think you're going to yeah. you want to be part of this?
1: She's funny. Podcast. She came over to me like a dog and just put her head against my leg and like waited for me to pet her. I mean, I guess that's what she was doing. <laughs> They're very
2: friendly. Yeah, really yeah. friendly. I've raised them similar to dogs cuz uh-huh. you can raise a goat in so many ways just like you can raise a dog in so many ways but I've raised them how you would dogs like I'm with them all the time they get lots of love and affection they know their names they come when I call them those kinds of things so they're kind of more like dogs than goats but some things but then
1: you you kill them and eat them <laughs> I know I'm like a dog now you got what, <laughs> what do you want she's <laughs> like
2: right in your face do you, to, do
1: you want to talk you want to be yeah, interviewed like, um, is that what what's going on <laughs> gotta get that picture are you doing? what are you so doing? <laughs> well, okay, this is the weirdest interview ever.
2: <laughs> this is Borte. She's the queen of the herd. The Borte. Yeah, it's so funny.
1: All right. So we interrupted you. Yeah. Were, you were, so, so you, did you grow up here in Montana? No. Where'd you grow up?
2: I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. So, oh, I grew okay. up in urban sprawl. Oh. My dad's from up here, and my grandparents and great grandparents. So, I have a lot of generational history right. here. Um, and I came up here as a kid often in the summers and things. So I grew up in urban sprawl. Um, but my parents, I'm so thankful for them because I got to get outside a lot. We always went camping. Mm -hmm. We went hiking. We came up here to visit the grandparents a lot. So I got to see that there was more to life than just urban sprawl grossness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too. I have a lot of
3: people that listen to my podcast who are like in their twenties and thirties who mm-hmm. feel completely miserable and, you know, super angry about the world and all of that, but feel so terrified to do something differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel super alienated about the things that they want to do and just afraid of rejection of the, you know, quote unquote community that they've, they've had thus far. Um, did you feel some of that with like the people who are your age around you? Like, did you ever feel afraid to kind of break free and and do all of this?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a very normal process with all of this. And I think and I think it's important just to embrace that. Like wherever you're at, to embrace where you're at. And if you are angry and you do feel stuck, just em- embrace those feelings. Um even though it's hard too, but I, I definitely felt that. And I felt, I didn't know how to move forward. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I needed to shift what I was doing because I would have, you know, just the, the quote unquote, normal life, working a job, going to school, paying rent, living in an apartment or a random house, um, doing and trying to do things that I was passionate about on the weekends, getting out and going hiking, but ultimately just felt, felt depressed all mm-hmm. the time and purposeless and, um, not like my myself, f- not full and alive. And I noticed when I felt full and alive and purposeful and happy is when I was outside. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to I always wanted to live outside since I was a teenager, but then as a young adult, I just tried to do, oh, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to do the job, I'm going to just try to do those things, um, because that's what you do in society. But it was so unfulfilling, I knew that I had to follow that.
1: Um, What did you study in college?
2: I studied ecosystem sustainability okay,
1: mm-hmm. so something related to this passion absolutely yeah, and
2: um, and I had got a minor in anthropology
1: mm. too so Sweet.
2: and I wanted to major in anthropology, but the thing with college too it's still not even about feeding your passion you don't mm. study what you're most passionate about because the things I was most passionate about passionate about were anthropology and art but I'm like, well, I can't justify paying to go mm. to art school because right. you're supposed to pay to ultimately get a job that's going to pay for school and more. So you're sort of supposed to pick the career that's going to pay you money or whatever. It's
1: it's all an investment system, right? It's not actually learning.
2: Exactly. Yeah, you should have
1: been like studying, you know, uh, cave art or something. Exactly.
2: And that's what fascinated me. And I studied, I mean, I took a lot of anthropology classes, but I didn't choose it as a major because I was like, well, I don't want to become a professor.
1: Right. (laughs) And that's all there is. Yeah, exactly.
2: Except there's this thing called applied anthropology, Mm. which you can go to school for applied anthropology. And that's basically what I did after college. I just didn't know that's what it was called.
1: And how does that work?
2: That is applying the skills that are all of our ancestors practiced. Applying them.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, so that, you would, sense.
2: instead of just reading about um, flint napping and pottery, you would actually practice do it, it yeah. and you would do it the way that you think that people did it in that particular environment with the particular tools and resources available mm-hmm. to them.
1: Were there particular um, cultures that you resonated with most deeply? Like both in your studies and also uh, in, in your, just your passions.
2: (laughs) Yes. I, growing up in the Southwest, I was particularly interested in the Southwest cultures there, the Papago Indians and the, you know, the Anasazi is always really interesting too. Um, And um, yeah, the Southwest is amazing place to study anthropology and archaeology mm. because everything's so dry things mm-hmm. are preserved and there's yeah. so many ruins and being out there just on um, my own time i i uh just have, i've come across so many ruins out yeah. there that ones that maybe some that i don't that aren't on the map they're not in the guidebooks they're, no, that people might have known about but they're not known mm. about right and um And then discovered ones that people do know about, but I didn't know that I was going there. I was just out exploring and then then found them. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Just to walk up on this cliff dwelling that's just ancient and see the people's handprints Hmm. in the adobe walls and be able to put your hands right there. there.
1: I had an experience like that in Spain. I lived in Spain for a long time and I used to go to the prehistoric cave art in the Pyrenees and in southern France. And there are a couple of caves there where, um, you know, they would put their hand up and then blow ochre. So yes. it's like a, yep. a, re- a relief or yep. a reverse print. And uh, it's amazing because you see all these handprints. And, like, one person, it was a woman's hand, and her uh, pinky finger was broken. And so you see that same finger in different places. Wow. So you see that she sort of went around. And then down below are all these children's hands. And they're fifteen to 20,000 years ago. Like... You know, you try to wrap your head around that and you're standing as close as I am to you right now and you can just like sort of superimpose. you can't touch it, you shouldn't touch it, but you can, it's right there. And right. their hands are just like ours. Their bodies are like ours. Their right. brains are like ours. Their brains are bigger than ours, actually. Um, and just to sort of try to transport your consciousness into where they were, how they, you know, what how their senses worked. Like when you're out in the desert for a few weeks, your sense of smell must just transform yes. your sense of hearing transforms yes. you're living in a different dimension in a way
2: absolutely and
1: then we come into the city and everything's loud and stinky and chaotic and you have to deaden those senses just to survive it's absolutely. the opposite of of being sensitive
2: absolutely fucking crazy and that's that's been one of the hardest things about choosing the lifestyle that i've chosen is is the transition back and forth yeah. and i have just I mean, I, I can tell you about so many different experiences of coming back into a town or a city or even a trailhead mm-hmm. um, after being out in the wilderness for a couple months. And it is, it's like heartbreaking. There's so many times I could, I would just bawl, you mm-hmm. know, I would just cry um, because it was overwhelming. And the feeling when you're out there, you feel so alive and like every cell is tingling and aware you smell things you've never smelled and feel things and hear things you can hear so far away and so close and you're tuned into all these subtle things and your intuition is on fire you can Mm. feel where animals are in in the forest like without seeing them you can smell animals you can I would wake up in the middle of the night to a new smell. I was even aware why I was sleeping Mm -hmm. to smells, things like that. And then coming in and being so wide awake and then going in, a trailhead, going on into a car onto a road, into a town, into a grocery store, around billboards, radios all that stuff and then taking it all in absorbing it completely. Your nervous system gets totally overwhelmed and then realizing for me to survive in this environment I have to shut all that off and it just brings me to tears every time and um, yeah there's a bunch of stories I could tell you just around that thing specifically but when I got... um, After the alone experience, I was out there for eighty-nine days,
1: three months. This was up in Alaska, or it
2: was in Canada, in Mm. the Northwest Territories, on the Great Slave Lake, um, on First Nations land, Let's Okay Dene land up there. It's actually becoming a a national park. Hmm. This is really special that we got to be there, and um, uh, yeah, I was out there for for almost three months, I was so mad. I don't want to say so mad, but they, they took me out on day 89. And I was like, come on, you couldn't have at least waited to day 90, a nice round number. Um, so I could just easily say day 90 or three months, but anyway, 89 days, I was out there and I was totally immersed in that environment. And I didn't, have any food I didn't bring food with me so everything that I was eating and drinking was from that land I was Mm. that land yeah and I felt so pure my everything my mental state my spirit my emotions my body I was so pure and when they took me out every little thing that was happening to me I felt like I was becoming polluted yeah and uh, I had to go to the hospital and I begged them to not bring me because I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I cannot go to town. I can't do that. Um, but I had to. And um, when I got, I got, I got to ride in a helicopter, which was really cool actually, because it was at sunset, hmm. which was at 3 p.m.
1: Hmm. So <laughs> what month is this?
2: This was right at winter solstice.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right at winter solstice. You were solstice. out there in
1: the middle of winter. Yeah. What the. It fuck? was. Ne-
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was negative forty, plus wind chill. Did you not see the reindeer?
1: I saw the Get reindeer <laughs> jacket. Yeah, beautiful jacket, jacket, coat, whatever parka. Um, they call parka, it yeah, yeah, Maltista. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Well, at least you didn't have mosquitoes to worry about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Minus forty. Yeah,
2: in the when we first got dropped in September, there were some bugs. Um, I got one in my ear.
1: And when you (laughs) do, what'd you get in your ear?
2: A gnat, one of those black gnats.
1: Oh, and you couldn't get it out? I
2: couldn't. Joel, also on the season, Mm. he got a bug in his ear, too. Mm. And he he, um, eventually got it out. But I had one in my ear. It wasn't shown on the show, but I had it in there the whole time, actually. And... When I finally did go to that, the hospital that I so dreaded going to, they looked, they're like, you have a bug in your eye." I was Like, I knew that thing never came out of there. <laughs>
1: <Funny>. <laughs> yeah. What they do like pour wax in and pull it out.
2: They just squirt some water in uh, there. Yeah. Modern medicine. Modern
1: medicine. I, I knew a dude who had a, he was sleeping somewhere. It might've been Australia or something. I forget, but a cockroach crawled into his ear and, uh, and he tried to like scratch it in his sleep and it went in deeper. And then every time, he, and then his girlfriend, he woke up his girlfriend, she tried to get it out with like tweezers or something. And so it went in deeper. And so it was scratching against his eardrum.
4: Oh, that's horrible. And it was, and it
1: was extremely painful. Oh. And they he went to the hospital in the middle of the night. And the only sort of relief he could get was when he, he would just go, oh, oh. Like this. So she leads him into the hospital. And everybody's looking at him like he's having some sort of a mental breakdown. (laughs) Uh, But they poured hot wax in Mm. and killed it with the hot wax and then pulled the wax out. Wow. Fuck. Yeah. It's
3: so the irony, too. It's interesting hearing you talk about all of this. Like, even the fact that the show is called Alone, where I'm sure you feel less alone and more connected in that environment than anywhere else. I mean, I'm sure if any of us allowed ourselves to actually do that, that we would feel the
2: same way. Right. Um, I did. Yeah. I felt like that. I know some people suffer a lot from loneliness out there. Yeah. I didn't, I felt, I didn't feel alone. I, I really didn't. I, there were no other human beings out there, but I, I felt very connected to the land and every day I was out there, I felt more connected. I felt supported. I felt like I was, you know, developing relationships with a bunch of new friends and, um, and connecting to myself in a really deep way too. And that, um, yeah. So it is, an, it is interesting, but you know, it is a TV show. So. Yeah.
3: And I mean, I guess probably though, the, you know, having been a young person interested in these things and probably not having an entire community that wanted to do it with you or support you. It's like, there's probably to some extent you got used to that or familiar with it where maybe someone else who haven't hasn't had those types of experiences of being alone for long periods of time, it's more shocking to the system.
2: It's true. Cause there is, there's a, there's a journey with it. There's a whole journey and uh, there's definitely people that have gone on the show and that was the longest they'd been alone without talking to another person or been away from their loved ones. So they have quite a different,
5: right.
2: a different experience than somebody like myself. And there are other people like me who have spent long stints alone. So you already deal with all of the things that come up and you know what to expect. And so you already kind of have all that stuff out of the way, the, you know, the primary stuff. So then you can kind of get into, you can, you have the appetizers out of the way. You can get into the main course. That's a weird, that's a weird comparison. (laughs) I don't, I don't really like that.
1: We'll edit that out. (laughs) Uh, We were sitting around the fire last night talking with some friends and, um, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, I think Jonathan was talking about uh, his wife's mother and, you know, like if the father dies and she's alone, how are they going to handle that? And they were sort of having that kind of conversation. Uh, what are we going to do in this case or that case? And he said something that stuck in my head. He said, the main thing is we can't let her be isolated because isolation is the death of sanity. Mm. I thought about that. I thought that's so interesting. Um First of all, isolation and solitude are two very different yeah. things, yeah. even though they look the same from outside, mm-hmm. right? And also, sanity in that case is something that is community uh, defined, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you could be, you could lose what we're calling sanity here, mm-hmm. which involves shutting down the senses and putting up with a bunch of fucking nonsense, mm-hmm. Um But then you're actually becoming more sane, right? So, you know, what is sanity in an insane society and all all that? But anyway, I wanted to sort of uh, ask you about the fact that hunter-gatherers, the people that you feel the spiritual affinity toward, were so much less lonely or alone than we are, right? I mean, 25% of people live alone in the U.S. right now. That's more than ever in human history. Mm And so it's interesting that you have these experiences that are aligned with the hunter-gatherer experience in in many ways, but yet you're totally isolated, which is very much not the hunter-gatherer experience.
2: Right, right. It is very interesting, and in the lo- so so an ideal situation for I think optimal happiness and well-being is not living alone in the wilderness. It's living with a group. It's living with. Uh, clan. Um, And when I was out there, that's how I felt. I was like, give me my people and I'm staying. Mm -hmm. I love this. This, I am so happy doing this. All I need is a little clan and we're good to go. And I uh, felt that very strongly. And so it is an interesting sort of thing. Um, And also we're living on the land uh, by yourself is more challenging. If you have a group, I think it becomes easier Mm -hmm. because you can you can work together and it makes a lot more sense to do it that way. But the way I was viewing it, that whole experience was as a rite of passage where, um, where you would go alone. Hmm. You would do a journey alone, um, or without the support of your family and friends and learn whatever it is that you have to learn and come out of it a stronger, more aware, um, person. And so I really was embracing that, that time, that mm. solitude that I had.
1: And as a transitional experience, not as a life in itself.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it was perfect for that because since it was a show, I knew that I wasn't going to be living like that.
1: And you didn't have like camera people with you. You had your own Correct. camera. So Correct. you actually were alone. It was not one of these... Correct. alone except for the sound guy and the camera guy <laughs> right
2: right right yeah. yeah and so that's the cool thing about this show so i'm not i'm not into tv i feel like that's uh a- There's a lot of smoke and mirrors out in the world, and things just kind of suck you in and distract you from what you're really feeling and experiencing as a human being here. Um, And so I'm not a TV watcher. I didn't want to go on TV either. When they first contacted me, I was like, no, thank you. Um, But this show is really unique because it is what they say it is. You are dropped. I was dropped with, you get to. Pick 10 items from a list. You get uh, clothing, but it's limited. It's specific how much clothing you can bring, some safety equipment, and the camera gear. You have this you know, waterproof box with all your cameras and batteries and memory cards and microphones, and there's no camera crew. And you're dropped there, and you're supposed to survive as long as you can. And they will come in every, you know, anywhere from 10 days to three weeks to do a medical check and make sure that you don't have some festering wound that's going to kill you and that, you know, but you're just not telling them or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's a legitimate experience and that's why I did it because I was interested in having that legitimate experience and it was a way for me to do that and not only be able to go somewhere that I probably wouldn't be able to go on my own and have this kind of bigger, grander experience than I'd really be able to provide myself also to push myself in a way that I might not do if I didn't have to, I probably wouldn't have chosen negative 40, mm. not bringing any food. Did
1: um, <laughs> you know what, what the location was when when you decided to do the show or do they tell you that after?
2: They tell you that after.
1: So you didn't know, you could have been Papua New Guinea, it could have been anywhere.
2: It could have been anywhere. This particular show doesn't really do tropical, so uh. they usually do cold uh, oh, more okay. northern climates, right. um, but it could have been anywhere. They could have but you knew, obviously,
1: when, when you were choosing your items, you knew what kind of environment you yeah,
2: were going to be in. Yeah, then eventually, they, after they pick who they're going to pick, they do tell you, they reveal the location, and then you have, you know, two, three weeks to de- really decide what clothes you're going to bring wow. and go. So How
1: did you research that? Did you look at what native people in that area used? Absolutely. Right.
2: Absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I chose the the reindeer parka uh, right. versus a modern gear cuz I'm like, well, those people have it dialed. Mm. And the in that particular area was it was subarctic, so um the reindeer parkas were used more in the true arctic without, you know, up on the tundra and everything. So it was a little bit different, but I knew that that, that technology, that clothing technology would be superior and so I did a lot of research on what the ancient cultures did there um, or indigenous cultures. And um, and then also talked to people from... they. It was the same location that they did the, the previous season. So mm. I got to watch mm. that season and see what the environment looked like, which was really helpful.
1: Mm. Um, what kind of shelter did you build?
2: I built a, an A-frame shelter... With the, the spruce trees that were there and moss and rocks and clay, they, one of the like safety with the camera gear comes a tarp. Mm -hmm. You can choose a tarp as one of your 10 items if you want. And then you could bring a nice tarp, like a canvas tarp, Mm -hmm. but they do provide you a crappy plastic tarp to protect the camera gear and but priorities
1: because <laughs> it's their gear exactly it's their <laughs> gear right.
2: they want you to protect it and so most people instead of choosing a tarp as a, one of their 10 items they just use the crappy tarp for the camera gear and that's fine they just say as long as you have the camera gear in the shelter
0: with mm, you right. so.
2: <laughs> and that's something that's changed over the seasons that this the, the, the show has actually gotten harder um because in the beginning the first seasons that you actually got more stuff with the safety gear mm. Um, but that's kind of been less and less stuff and that so it's it's getting a little bit more extreme
1: Was there something that you wish you had brought like after you were out there for a month or two? Where you're like fuck I really should have brought X
2: mm, I felt pretty comfortable with my choices the one thing I probably would have changed was One of my items you could bring a gill net as an item You could also bring paracord as an item. I chose paracord because I felt that it was two items in one because I could pull the inner strands out and make a gillnet. Mm. And that's what I did. So I got the gillnet and I got the paracord. If I just brought the gillnet, I would only have the gillnet and no paracord. But in the end, seeing how everything panned out, if I would have just brought the gillnet already made, I would have gotten it in the water right away Uh. versus you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to make the gill net, but first I need to build my shelter, but first I need some fuel in my belly. And so there's, when you get dropped, you have to just do everything. You don't have anything set up. You don't know your, you have to scout your area, build your shelter, set up a trap line, make a blind, go hunting, like all on top of getting your daily firewood and, you know, water and processing any animals you killed. And then you're going to make a gill net too. And the weather sucks most of the time. So I, so it was forever. And then I, could, I finally made my gillnet, um, but there was a bunch of challenges with getting in the water. And then the lake started freezing up and all this stuff. And so that if I were to redo one thing, it would be just to bring the gillnet and not make it out there. Mm-hmm. But I had fun making it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so that counts.
1: <laughs> you ever heard of Bruce Perry? I haven't. He did a TV show for years for the BBC called Tribe. And you reminded me of him when you were talking about your camera gear. Because he would go, he, he taught survival skills uh, for British Special Forces. And then he and a buddy went and climbed a mountain in Papua New Guinea, or Erie and Jaya, I forget, um, that had never been climbed. And they took cameras and filmed it. And then that film got attention. And then National Geogra- or, or no, BBC um, hired them to do the show. And it was amazing. It, would be, it was just him. And a guy who did sound and camera, I think it was just two guys. Um, and he had this little uh, water tight kit that he would take. And that's all it was, he had, which was like emergency medical supplies, I think, but they would go to hunter gatherer groups around the world, like legit, right? Mm-hmm. Not sort of people dressing up and pretending. Right. Um, and they'd spend a month or two out there and he, he, you would love this guy. He, he spit on the podcast, super cool dude. Um, he just laughs all the time. He, his, he's small. He wouldn't, he's not like a macho dude, you know, six pack, you know, he, uh, but he would just be with the people and he'd eat what they eat and do what they do and do their rituals and dancing by the fire and taking the drugs in his eyeballs and all this crazy shit. <laughs> um, but just, to, but like totally respectful yep. and fascinated, yep. you know, just hungry. He's a beautiful guy. I love, I love Bruce Perry. Anyway, I don't, want, I don't want you to watch TV, but if you ever do, <laughs> uh, National Geographic bought the show and like, you know, going tribal with Bruce Perry, they added all this American <laughs> bullshit to it, but right. the show is the same. Right? Uh, it's fantastic.
2: It's just like modern day culture. You kind of have to sift through things, but yeah. They're, yeah. now being on this show, I'm sort of opened up to what is going on in TV world. And there are actually things of value mm. out there and I think it is important and I do remember the things when I was young the TV shows that I watched that inspired me you know like globe trekker and mm. survivor man and those things you know so there are it's like there's these things that do inspire people and even if they put the veneer of the the drama and the voice and everything the 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 essence is there and I think people still feel that and see that and That's cool. That's a dream of mine to do that. I
1: was thinking, like, yeah, it would be cool for you to take over the show or the two of you to go somewhere together. I mean, you know, have a woman's perspective.
2: I would love it. I've always wanted to do that exact thing, but I also didn't want to be part of going and ruining the hmm. few tribes of people that are still like doing their thing without yeah. a bunch of people in their faces and just whatever bringing all the all the cultural stuff that we bring and ultimately even if it's you know pure with really good intentions it changes things and so that's yeah. something i've been aware of and wondering how to be able to you know go and learn from the people that still are connected to that lineage that has actually been passed down for since time immemorial, but also yeah. not yeah. take a, take it away from them either. And then there's the whole... I
1: think you, you and Bruce have something in common that I don't. Because I've, I've been invited to go visit hunter-gatherer people and I've never done it for exactly that reason, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't speak the language. I haven't studied their culture. I'm just going to wander in there and be some goofball sitting in the corner, right? Whereas you and Bruce both have spent decades studying, learning ways of living that correspond with them, right? So you might sit down and make the fire one night, and they're all going to be like, yo, check out this white chick. She knows how <laughs> to make a fire, you know? Like, or you could like trap animals, and you can process animals, and you can do all these things. You're not some newbie walking in saying, oh, can you guys feed me and take care of me? And by the way, I have an infection, and I don't know what to do. And you bring your own knowledge to it. Um, which is a sign of respect. That mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know if well, I were also, you, like, I'd go for it. Who's,
3: you know, what is the show and who's watching? Like, I feel like what's cool about this is to some extent, it wasn't like reality TV where it's scripted and they're creating a narrative. It's sort of like you get to go there and tell the story that you want to tell that's yours. And I feel like maybe especially now and especially amongst younger people, instead of it being just pure entertainment, I do feel like people are, are recognizing like how do I do more of that you know what does that look like emotionally what does that look like realistically it's not just like oh look at that crazy person out in the wilderness or going to visit some tribe you know um do you feel like the camera's there like did you feel that kind of responsibility of like oh I'm portraying something to all these different people and
2: what is that going to be and how am I going to talk about that right the cameras so you are right it's there's no script um it is it's we just film ourselves and hand over the footage and then they They make the show together. Yeah. So it is a totally legitimate experience. They do edit things and they have, you know, there's a lot of just the same, (laughs) they they need to edit it. (laughs) But, um, and, did, but they, did you
1: ever film something that you knew wouldn't get in? Like, I'm going to take a shit yeah, now. This is it. how <laughs> you take a shit in the wilderness, ladies and gentlemen.
2: There there was a lot of things that I didn't think that, they, that I was like, <laughs> oh, most the time you I was thinking they weren't going to. F- Put in what I was doing because you're filming. They want you to film literally all the time, Mm -hmm. every day, all day. If it's light out and you're doing something, film. Even if it's light out and you're not doing something, film. They're just like, just have the camera on, keep it rolling, keep filming because this moment you turn it off, something cool is gonna happen. You're gonna miss it.
1: Do you have like a selfie stick or how do you carry the camera? We
2: had three cameras. We had a couple. Well, we had three types of cameras. We had a couple GoPros. We had a little handheld JVC and then a really nice, um, camera on a tripod with mm. a, you know, lav mic setup and everything. So we were always, I was always miked up too, which I got annoyed. You get annoyed with all the equipment also. Cause you're like, yeah. I'm just trying to eat, you know? Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> just this is right like, I, passage, need okay? go, like, I need to go hunting, <laughs> but yeah. the batteries are dead and the uh, memory carts full. Uh, and I just, ah, uh, you know, yeah. um, uh, so I
1: interrupted. You were talking about like if you felt you had to portray something,
2: right? So there is yeah. There's so much to talk about. With, yeah. There's so much to talk about with just that experience, and yeah. then there's the cameras and stuff. Yeah. So, what to answer your question though, Chris, is you start. I was aware that anything I did could be on national television, but I knew that I'm going to give them what a thousand hours of footage and it's going to get boiled down to one hour. So I knew that most of what I was filming wasn't. So that kind of allows you to get really comfortable with, because you're like, Oh, I know they're not going to put this on camera and get off the counter. The goat is back on the counter. It is an outdoor kitchen for anyone listening. (laughs) And she's not, she's like, I don't want to jump down. She's soaked now. (laughs) Go be a good goat Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) for a change. So you filmed a lot of stuff, and Uh, you knew it wasn't going to get on.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you
1: ever seen Grizzly Man?
2: I, I've never watched uh, the episode, but I was I was aware of him when he was popular and heard a lot about him, and maybe saw like a clip or something. Well,
1: he takes camera. He took cameras to uh, the bear country in the Kenai Peninsula or wherever it was in Alaska. But it, but the camera for him became oh, a companion. Yeah.
3: Yes, that's sort of what, what I was thinking exactly. about when I asked that question of like right. this relationship you are almost having with yourself out there, mm-hmm. and it's like this weird live so journal or something. Private exactly. and yet so yeah. public yes. at the
1: same time. Yes.
2: It's fascinating. The cameras, it's like your Wilson, you know, from from Castaway. (laughs) Right. And it is this journal and they don't, you're not allowed to have paper or pens. So that's not part of that. Mm. So, and they specifically don't want you to because then you would have basically an outlet. They want the camera to be your outlet because they love, I mean, that's what's interesting to people is actually seeing what do people really go through Mm. when they're in an experience like this and that's what the viewers are fascinated about. So, the camera is this journal that you're sharing very vulnerable things to because it's your only sort of person to talk to. It's not a person, but you're kind of talking to people because you know someone's going to watch it. And there is, there's, um, somebody's job is to go through all of your footage. They watch everything and then pull out the parts that they're going to put into the show. So I would, I became more aware of that person than every, Mm. all the viewers I would refer to that person. I didn't know who they were, but I talked to them. I was like, "You, I was like, you're probably so bored of watching me cut firewood again all day every day or you're probably sitting bored in some of some cubicle, some <laughs> yeah. studio somewhere." Yeah, so Did you strange. ever
1: meet the person?
2: I haven't met the person, but I really want to because yeah. I, t- I would talk to them. I and I was like, "Oh, you know, what are you eating right now? Do you have a snack? I hope you're enjoying that
1: snack while you're watching this, you know." They know, know I, you really well. Yeah.
2: Really well.
1: Do you know if it's a man or a woman?
2: I think it's a man.
1: Did you ever have any sort of sexual vibe with him?
2: I didn't, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you weren't doing like a like cam girl I in would the, in let the it, wilderness? I
2: would <laughs> let them know. I would give them sneak, uh, or not just, um, I would share my dreams. I uh-huh. would share my dreams, which were pretty vibrant out there and vivid, but no, no, no sexual thing with the camera or the person that I knew was going to have to watch all the footage.
3: (laughs) Was there anything that you, that you talked about or that, or yeah, whether it was an experience or something you just spoke openly about that they didn't include that you kind of wish that they did?
2: yeah, there's a, there's actually a lot of things. I had a lot of, um, sort of like epiphanies out Mm. there that I would share and I was hoping to see them also so I could remember what I said (laughs) and felt I mean I still remember the feeling but I just wanted to you get to kind of relive it and see to see your own face and your eyes and the words that you chose so there's a lot of things like that that I'd love to see I would really like to see the rest of so when they pulled me like my last moment out there when they were like all right you got to you got to go. I had to get pulled for medical reasons. I had frostbite on my toe, so that's what they they decided it was unsafe for me to stay out there.
1: And All your toes are still here. I can verify.
2: They they grew back. It was this one. It grew mm. back. Wow. Yeah. The it, the top was what it got frostbite and was sort of missing, hmm. and it grew. It regrew. It was Sweet. Really cool. Bodies are crazy. Cool. Bodies are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Really amazing.
1: <laughs> Especially if you treat them the way you treat your body. I mean, I again, what are put my body doing?
2: through hell yeah. on The Alone Show.
1: But yeah, that's
3: yeah. yeah. pretty miraculous. <laughs> Healing. I've witnessed my body do things that I was like, there's no way I could ever come back from this. And just watching that process, it's like a, such a good experience. You have a lot of reverence, I think, for the strength of your body. It's yeah. nature, yeah, right? Yeah. It's,
1: it's like watching a forest recover. Yeah, Yeah. if we can get out of the way. Anyway, again, I interrupted you. Oh, there's so I'm trying to
2: track all the, there's like five different points you were that that were I still want to make to <laughs> yeah. answer your guys' questions. Well, do it. Well, I'll, just shut, I'll up.
1: just shut up and let you talk well, for a minute. I might, the,
2: I've probably forgot half of them already. So. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get the toe grew back. Oh, I wanted to see, so what they show on the show is just a moment of me saying, okay, you know, okay but watching my face and my eyes and seeing like I just feel like being transported back to that moment and feeling everything I was feeling I would I said a lot more before I actually left and got back on the helicopter I would really like to see that footage but we it's not you know they have it I don't have it so there's a lot of things I'd love to see that I recorded yeah that must be kind of frustrating yeah I kind of (laughs) made Peace. One of the things I've, I got out there was this huge sense of peace and um, kind of unattachment to a lot of things, not an unattached that I don't care. I care so much, but just um, acceptance of all the things that are out of my hands and acceptance of the things like the agreements that I have in my life. And just I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace come over me when I realized that I could actually just accept my reality as it was. And so that's part of it too. I don't, I don't really feel, I would love to see that stuff, but I don't feel this like sad feeling inside me that's longing for it either. I trust if I get to see it, I'll get to see it. And if I don't, I don't, but I, I do remember it so vividly. I don't think, I hope I don't ever forget what I learned out there. Yeah. Those feelings. I doubt it. (laughs)
3: yeah it's interesting too like going back to the original one of my original questions about people our age that are so i'm assuming you're kind of my age 30 ish yeah i'm 32 how old are you just turned 32 whoa cool (laughs) um i'm 34
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: but yeah i wonder like the whole rite of passage to how many because I've I've, felt I've not done anything nearly as crazy brave as you have, but certainly done things that a lot of people are like, "How did you do that?" Or "How did you have the courage to do that?" Or the strength to do that? Or you know, how how did you manage the fear? How did you not have fear? Um, and I feel like I don't know if it was this for you. There's always fear. It's not like I'm not afraid of anything. But I think the more you put yourself in those sorts of scenarios. They are rites of passage. It's like, how are we not, are are people our age not afraid to jump off the cliff simply because they've never jumped off the cliff before?
2: Right. You know? Yeah. Fear of the unknown. Yeah. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure. Yeah. It's huge. And I think that, I think you're absolutely right. It's so important to... Our fears are our teachers, I feel like. And when I'm scared of something, I try to pay attention to it because I'm like, that's probably something that I have to do or I have to pay attention to that thing because it's going to push me. And going out on this experience, I absolutely had a lot of fears. One of the biggest ones was fear of failure. I thought... Like, wow, I've, you know, I have a lot of dirt time, but this is next level. This is an environment I've never been to, more extreme than I've experienced, with, you know, less resources, you know, going out with no food and all of that, and li- really limited gear. And um I felt that I when I was preparing for it, I was like, wow, this is this is like bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared to do it. I'm scared I'm Gonna fail at it, yeah. and not only will I have to deal with that failure, but the, everyone's <laughs> gonna see it. Whatever thing I do is going to be seen by a lot of people, and an edited version will be seen too. And that's mm-hmm. a really hard thing too, because you don't get the whole story, and you know that going into it that your whole story won't be portrayed, and you may or may not be betrayed very, be b- betrayed honestly
1: too. Um, yeah I signed or I didn't sign actually I was given a release form to sign once by a company that produced reality shows mm. and it's one it's the only time I've ever refused to sign a release form I was going on I don't remember what show it was but um it was a it was like a talk show they were interviewing me about a book I think mm. and the release form said you know, you agree to be um, uh, portrayed, including in ways that are totally unfair and, uh, you know, like, like distorted, inaccurate. inaccurate. It, accuracy has nothing to do with this. We can edit this any way we want and fuck you, basically, is what it said in legal terms. And I was like, why would anyone sign this? Like, are you kidding me? Fuck that. I'm not signing it. Um But yeah, it's it's reality shows are amazing. It sounds like this one has more integrity, and you were able to see previous episodes Mm -hmm. and seasons to make sure they weren't. It wasn't like let's make fun of the idiots in the woods. Right? Yeah.
0: Right.
1: What do you feel? I mean, watching you now, uh, talking about this stuff, I'm feeling like, uh, (laughs) I mean, this might be like more than you want to hear, but I'm thinking like you're a really beautiful woman Mm. and part of your beauty is your strength Mm. that you're like competent and strong and you know yourself. And that is a hugely beautiful thing, but it's also something that's really intimidating. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel that kind of conflict? Like, is there, is there something about the way you're living your life that, that may be conflicting with your ability to, have the kind of relationships that you might want to have. I mean we already talked about community, but mm-hmm. what about on a more intimate level? Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel this like s- struggle there?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a real thing and uh, you know, there's so many cultural things tied into it, but a lot of men are if they're not very secure in themselves, th- I'm kind of threatening. Yeah. Because I am pretty capable of taking care of myself and um, I don't need, I don't just say though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm just thinking like if someone hears a van, a, a mouse in the van, yeah. guess who's getting up? Yeah. <laughs> I think I heard a bear outside, honey, could you go deal with that? I'm, I'm just going to lie here and yeah. hope for the best. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So that has been a journey. I mean, luckily I have a, I've attracted some, um, you know, men that are, you know, confident in themselves. Right. But I'm even, even some of the men, they're like, well, gosh, if I would have met you when I was younger, I would have been scared as hell, you Mm. know, because you can do all these things. And I think just our, our whole, the way our whole culture is set up, women are supposed to look to the man to help them and do things for them. And we're even taught, you know, even me growing up is like, well, you, you know, my, My parents were pretty supportive, but still just the culture, there's so much culture saying, well, you're a woman, so you can't really do that. And you need other people to take care of you. You need a man to take care of you. And I've learned, I love working with other people, but I can take care of myself Mm. really well. And also on like emotional levels and physical levels. And so that is, that's been a thing, um, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, I imagine it's something that, that a lot of women deal with in different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about this um,
4: all, the time. all the
1: time. And, and, <laughs> and, and you know, s- we have strong, smart women in our social circle, and we see a lot of them dealing with this, right? right? Like guys who either are intimidated by the strength or who try to, often unconsciously, but they try to cut the women down to To undermine their sense of security, because I guess they 're afraid that you know if you realize how strong you are you 'll realize how vulnerable i am you 'll leave me for someone better, whatever there are all these weird sort of psychological things going on, right, but it just seems like because of the way you live and, and the fact that a lot of these skills that you 've developed are. Traditionally, in our culture, seen as masculine skills, a-
2: absolutely, you
1: know, like who builds the fire, you right. know, who chops the wood, who goes out and kills the animal, those are all dude things, totally. supposedly,
2: totally, yeah. yeah, a lot of guys don 't know what to do with me <laughs> <laughs> and i mean it's it's you know, I try not to get too. Um, I guess down about it, I just sec- accept it as something that I'm gonna have to deal with. But it, I also do find humor in it too. For ex- one example, um, in the fall, I work at uh, Game Processors as a skinner and skin deer. And so hunters pull up and they're big trucks and they got their deer in the back of the truck and they're going to bring their deer to the game processor. And then this skinny little blonde girl comes out covered in blood <laughs> and picks up their deer out of the back of their truck, throws it over their shoulder and be like, OK, you know, see you guys later. Go up to the front to pay or whatever and like lifts it on a hook all by herself. And they're just like. What just happened?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of man am I? <laughs> yeah. like,
2: well, I mean, I was going to skin the deer. I just. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it's it's funny. And, you know, it points to a lot of cultural things that I think we have a lot of room to grow on. To. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I've definitely been I definitely do a lot of things that are typically masculine.
1: Um, yeah. Well, it's it's a great thing because it's. It's a filtering mechanism. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to waste a lot of time with a guy who, like, they're going to see right away if they can't handle it. It's, right, they'll see in the first week. Like, right. whoa, right, this is way more than I thought when I buy you that drink at, at, the, <laughs> at the pub. <laughs> this is way more than I thought I was getting into. Yeah, yeah, but it's good. You won't waste time. You'll the the strong ones will filter through. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Did you have, were there women either like in stories or in your real life growing up that you kind of looked to that you felt like were kind of mentors in doing similar things like this or portraying the woman that you felt like you were or wanted to be? Or did you feel like you had to kind of make it from scratch?
2: Sadly, not really. Yeah, I'm not surprised.
1: (laughs) Sacagawea?
2: Right. And no doubt there are so many strong women, but you kind of have to really search for them as far as if you're going to read about them or in history or even in movies or shows, you have to seek them out. And I was actually having a conversation with, I have a younger sister, we're um, 15 years apart, so she's just turning 18. And she's really looking for these like strong female role models. And we were actually trying to um, think of historical figures and movies about strong female leads. And we had the hardest time, actually. And I was trying to inspire because she was like, there's no strong females. Ex-. And I was like, oh, yeah, there are. I mean, for example, um, uh, I was like... Oh like Joan of Arc, that movie, you know, or whatever. And it, it was so hard to find those examples. And so true, like true real women examples, um, they're out there, but their, their histories are covered up. I mean, even that sweet book, like, um, Genghis Khan and the making of the modern world. And they have that whole book on the Mongol queens and it's the secret history. And the author was talking about all the pages ripped out about the queens where they were trying to cover up the history of these queens, these women rulers. There's like very powerful women in the history of the Mongol world but there was somebody that wanted to cover that up and didn't want it to be known that these women were strong and doing all this awesome stuff. And interestingly
3: too in the show there were two women and both of you ended up in the final 3. Top 3. That's yeah. fascinating.
2: Yeah. Um I don't think that's happened in the show before and t- And I think it's amazing because even if there were five, even if the odds were five men and five women every season, it'd be interesting to see what happened, but it's just usually either there's been no women or two, hey, (laughs) sorry for yelling in the mic, goat goat troubles here. Um. She's just jealous wants to be in this one. She way. does. She's she's like, hey, I I want to be in this center of attention. Strong, <laughs> yeah. She's her name is Alakai, which in fact is one of the names of a Mongol queen.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so she, she picked her moment. Yeah,
2: yeah, she picked her moment well. <laughs> Oh yeah. But, uh, Kylan, the other female, she's incredible. And I'm just so happy to stand by her as a sister. And I feel like we both represented women really well in this season. And, um, I hope it's an inspiration to other, other young women.
3: Do you feel like watching, I mean, this is maybe a strange, broad question, but do you feel like the two of you had, because you were a woman, a a different experience at all? Do you feel like, within the show was was there something about how you were kind of like intuiting your environment that could have been different from the way that the men
2: were it could have been um a lot of the men on this season were pretty amazing and like sensitive and tuned in Mm. guys which is really cool and so a lot of them had it wasn't for them. It wasn't just about like, I'm out here to survive. Conquer. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Which sometimes is the mentality. And there were, there was some of that too, but there were also men on this season that were there to connect, connect to the land and listen and really be present. And which is amazing. And um, I don't know, it's hard to gauge and say, you know, who was able to have a deeper intuition about that kind of stuff. But I do think that women do have some innate, sort of natural abilities to connect to the more than human world. Mm
1: -hmm. Greater than men.
2: I don't want to say that.
1: I think you just did. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is fine. I mean, women's sense of smell, for example, is no, I think 10 times more acute than men's on average. Right. Um, So there's certainly differences. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything controversial or weird about about saying that, you know, we are tuned to different frequencies and women definitely are picking up stuff than men are in, in general.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think it, that comes down to the... I know in general, a, a capable, strong woman is just generally threatening. So I just have it. It's sort of natural for me to not want to say anything that's also going to add, you know, fuel to a fire. But I agree with you as far as just celebrating women and celebrating men. I, I don't think that we should just all be equal and pretend we're all the same because we're not. We're, I think we should celebrate our differences and not make people small or wrong for the, our innate differences. But celebrate them and celebrate those things, and, and
1: work together so that we, right, you know, compensate right. for each other's weaknesses and blind spots and all that.
2: Exactly, because right. as a whole, we're amazing. Men and women together just yeah. make this beautiful whole. And we, if you, especially if you support both of those natural qualities that are inherent in masculine and feminine
3: and a lot of the
1: the things, you know, that we're considering masculine are very strong in in women and there's nothing threatening about that. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no,
3: what are things like if let's say you were to live in a more communal environment with men and women and people that had all different sorts of skill sets, are there, are there things like specific tasks or projects or just things that you like the most that, that you're like the most passionate about? Like if you, if people were there to help you, would there be certain things that you were like, I want to
2: do that? That's such a good question. You, it's easy to get used to just doing everything Everything. all the time. That's wonderful. Like what would my specific role be? I like that. I do like if, if it was a pastoralist tribe or group or community, I would like to be the one that goes out with the animals And just it's a lot to manage animals and do all the other stuff. But just if your job is like bring them out, make sure they have good things to eat and drink and bring them back at the end of the day. I do really enjoy that. It's um, I really like that. I really like processing animals and um, processing food and especially preserving it for later feels really fun. And just cutting jerky and piling up a whole bag of deer jerky. That feels rewarding.
1: How do you deal with Death and killing
2: I was going to ask the same question mm, It's a good question We could do a whole podcast on that I mean a, like a series of podcasts really Death um, Obviously death is another thing in our culture That we're really disconnected from And have a lot of taboos around and fear around and just not even knowing how to speak about death. And I think that that's one of the things that we're really missing in our current modern culture is we're separated from death and births. And, you you know, in all throughout time, everybody saw births and deaths all the time. And you just were that was a part of life was birthing and death. And now a lot of people, you could just go into, you know, whatever, a group of people who's seen a death, who's seen a birth, and a lot of people haven't seen either, even into... Late adulthood It's wild
1: Yeah Or they've seen it Every fucking day In the ER Or firemen Or ambulance people It's like But super
3: like Sterilized It's not ritualistic Or meaningful Or communal No I just mean Instead
1: of it being Sort of spread out It's like It's like uh, our shit Instead of Sort of spreading it out And processing it So that it Helps things grow We concentrate it And you know Dump it in one place And poison it I feel like it's like
3: Disassociative in I mean direction. like our friend
1: Justin, who oh, who's, totally. you know was a fireman for eighteen years or something. Right. I mean, he's seen so many horrible deaths that it it's hurt him deeply, right? right? right. It's not fair that yeah. a few people have to deal with that all with the all time. Yeah. And the rest of us are like, What death? I don't see anything. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right, exactly. You deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's disproportional.
1: So as far as
2: are they being too loud?
1: No, it's okay. They're chewing on sticks. This is the first podcast I've recorded among goats. We are surrounded (laughs) by audience of goats and they want to hang with us. They're very, they're like, let's go hang with those guys. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like, Yeah. They just got closer and closer.
1: they're, They're coming in on us, aren't they? Um, But yeah, like, I mean, you obviously love these animals in a way Um, you, I imagine you love the animals you shoot when you're out in the woods, you Mm -hmm. shoot a deer, you Mm -hmm. know, an elk, whatever. There's a beautiful animal. Mm -hmm. Do you have either explicit rituals around it or, or something within yourself? Do you, is there a thought process that you go through where you pay respect or what, what happens? How do you do that?
2: Absolutely. To me, anytime I take a life, it's not lightly. Gratitude's a huge thing. Respect, honor, and a a a big reason that I got into all of this is because I learned about the modern food industry and how there's no respect to the animals that give their lives to 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 fuel us. And I went on this whole journey with that. Actually, I chose when I learned about the modern food industry when I was 15. I was like, I'm not I'm not eating meat. I don't want to be a part of that. At least is at least as much as I can have some control and not being a part of it, I'd like to not. And so I um, chose, I was vegan for a while and vegetarian for nine years. I didn't eat any meat. And I told myself that if I ever ate meat again, it would be from an animal that I was connected to. And I had to help help kill and process and everything and I when I made that intention I didn't even think that that was a reality I didn't really know anybody that knew how to do that and there's another side tangent about the power of intentions too Um, take it well, they're, well they're when every, we get to so many points. We could just do a whole podcast and <laughs> all these points. All right, we'll here. just
1: move but, in and we'll, we'll do a series.
2: <laughs> 50 podcasts. Yeah. We'll be here till it snows.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, anyway, and so one, I, I want the animals I eat to be treated with honor and respect. And so that's a main reason that I do what I do. And even when I'm in the butcher shop, I'm like, all these animals. I don't know if they were treated with respect when their lives were taken, but I'm going to use the parts of them that are thrown away and use their hides and turn their hides into clothing. And so I'm going to honor these animals in that way. Mm. And so a lot of what I do is about showing respect and honor for the life that's given. I do have rituals around it. I always say thanks. And, um, and it's emotional for me too. I care so deeply and, in the, when I was on the alone show in the Arctic for me to eat every, almost every day I had to kill something. I didn't get a large, um, animal like a moose or a muskox or bear. So I was killing small animals. And that meant, you know, it was like an animal a day, a rabbit a day or squirrel a day. And for me to live, it takes a life for me to have energy and fuel for this day. And that's sad in a way, but also to me, it's inspiring because this this energy is not just nothing. It's something very valuable. An animal had to give its whole life just so I could have energy for one day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's huge. And feeling the impact of that, I think, is at the essence of what it means to be alive.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see... The price that's being paid for each day. Yep. So that inspires you to live in a different way. Exactly.
2: Right. Yeah. Live fuller and with more intention and more gratitude. And in a way that's not just about me. It's about a community. It's about an ecosystem.
1: Do you, how would you like to die?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I don't know how I would like to die, but I know that I would like my body to be food for other creatures and when I first started um killing animals it I it was so heartbreaking for me um because I would have a relationship with them it was just so hard um and sometimes i would just be crying i'm like why am i a human why can't i be grass i just want to be grass <laughs> like, it's so much easier <laughs> than being like the life taker i was like i want to be a life giver mm. and i just remember that you know i'm like one day my body will be food for something else and it it better be if anybody the goat is peeing right you're
1: peeing pee because this is why you don't know want goats in your living room yeah. ladies and gentlemen girl Come on that's great <laughs> <laughs> right right in the middle of this really deep point you're making and the goat's just like I'm going to take a piss right here yeah. <laughs>
2: right in the middle of everything <laughs> that's the major difference between goats and dogs is you there's no really training you can do around um, where they, they just poop and pee all the time mm. right. So it's hard to train them to do it in specific places
1: Kind of like a litter box or something <laughs> <I don't>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you, you were talking about being a life giver And at, at some point your body will uh, mm-hmm. will feed yep. Yeah
2: I just, if anyone puts me in a box I will not be happy I really want my body to just be food for for someone else What's your relationship with for another animal yeah. or plants? Not I'm not neighbor. saying I'm not <laughs> saying I want people to eat me. Yeah. Just to clarify, yeah. I wouldn't even be mad if somebody did eat me, but a little
3: garlic was, and onions.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know.
3: That would be
2: weird if like that
3: was your death wish. Like I just I want to be cannibalized.
1: Well, that, there was a whole thing. There, there, I bet there's something. There, there was a thing in Germany just a few years ago. Where a guy on Craigslist said he wanted to be eaten, and is there anyone who you know can will do wow. this, and some <laughs> other guy was like, "Yeah, I'll do it," and ended up i don't know who killed if he killed himself or the other guy killed I don't remember, but there was this trial because the guy had pieces of him oh. in the freezer and was eating him, and then his defense was like, "No, that's what he wanted, you know right. and here's this whole record of uh texting and ads and stuff. Only in Germany, of course, you know. Right. But, yeah.
2: Right. When When is consent enough, I guess?
1: That's a complicated question. <laughs>
2: it's a whole other series
0: of questions. <laughs> it's another <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, you were going to ask something? Um, yeah,
3: mm-hmm. I was just going to ask what your relationship with, I mean, obviously we're talking about like death and the sadness of all of this, but grief in general, I feel like not just with animals, but in what's happening with the planet. Yeah. Um, I feel like we all, if we're at all open, are experiencing a lot of that right now. But I think especially people who live closer to the land, who I think inevitably have more gratitude and understanding for it. I'm just curious, like, how do you keep yourself this open and this intuitive and this connected while, you know, it's it's fascinating because we're sitting up here on this hill with tents and an outdoor kitchen and these goats and you like look down and it's like clearly like agriculture and civilization and it's so it's there you know there's no way to escape it um and i'm curious like how do you keep yourself from just sort of drowning in pits of despair um and feeling like like you know are you you alone can't
2: can't save us all <laughs> right that's a very important question because i think a lot of us do really struggle with all those feelings and i know that i have and sometimes still do is just just to yeah drown in the grief of how many horrible things are happening in the world every day and feeling that they're feeling powerless in it and for me my the way i keep my power around that and not just wallow in the grief is A, accept the grief is, accept the grief and use it as fuel to transform that grief into something else, like something else that's life-giving, just like a death. Your death, you know, a life is, life is given Uh, um, and then it's transformed into energy for somebody else, for a person that eats the rabbit or for the, you know, the deer that eats the grass, that energy is transformed. And when I, I always use that for like a human death too, it's so hard for us to lose our loved ones, but that energy, like let it transform that grief, that sorrow, feel it, and then let it transform into life giving energy, just like the death of something that's going to be an animal or plant that's going to be food. And for me that that's what the grief and that, that other side, like not ignoring the grief or like the darkness or the shadow or the nighttime, like embracing all of that and letting it be fuel for the, the day and the light and all that other stuff. And, um, Uh, For me, what I do to keep my power is to hold gratitude and just be thankful for like, what do I have to be grateful for? Like, yes, there's all these horrible things, but what's good going on for me right now and how, and that gratitude transforms how I feel every day. And hopefully it allows me to do something that is good and make a little small difference and a little change and a little progress towards something that's a little bit better than what everyone, our society is doing right now.
1: Do you feel like the skills that you're learning and you teach these skills as well, right? survival yeah. skills yeah yeah, all.
2: yeah, that's been my main way of sort of like making it in the world or like finance- like supporting myself financially has been teaching these skills. Do you
1: have a website or something? That I just mention? got
2: one, I didn't, oh. but now because of a loan, I'm like, well, I guess I'm out there. I might as well you know
1: monetize make a
2: Branding. make a website yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what's the website
2: uh, it's Capricorn dot com so
1: capricon with a c
2: yeah like so c-a-r-p-a like capra like a goat and then oh capra
1: like oh right Capricorn, con yeah, yeah. Okay. capra
2: oh with like, a p like or a b a p oh you have to like redo that capricon uh-huh, c-
1: c-a-p-r-a-c-o-n mm-hmm.
2: K-H-A-N.
1: K-H-A-N. Khan. Yeah. Oh, like Genghis Khan.
2: Exactly. Oh, okay. So it's like Capra, goat, Khan, like Genghis Khan. All
1: right. If this is confusing, folks, there <laughs> will, will be a type link. it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a link in the description.
2: I'm not a businesswoman. A businesswoman would have probably... <laughs> Chosen something that's easy to yeah, to, easy s- to,
1: to, to spell remember.
2: when you say, but Capricorn to me, it means goat queen uh- and, um, go- the goat is such an amazing example to me. They're a bridge to, I feel like our past and there people are like, oh, there was like pastoralists and then agriculture. Um, but I think that pastoralism was sort of a response to agriculture hmm. that people, well, that, that's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, the reason Capricorn, goat queen, the goats, um, you know, there's in a goat herd, the it just like elephants, the matriarch is the one who's in charge and keeps the herd safe and makes mm. the decisions. And so holding that kind of like strong leadership, but also goats have this amazing ability to survive on really... Um, I'm like, it's abused land, but I don't want to say abused. Um, mm. Yeah. Really messed with. Right. And I'm Mistreated. totally spacing on the uh, word. Yeah. Over, but goats have ability to survive on overgrazed and overused land, and the they can eat things toxic things like napweed, for example. They can eat these toxic plants that are a result from modern culture and farming, and transform them into milk. Mm, and so, it's right. to me, it's this metaphor for how do we take our current situation that is like, yeah, there's, we've done all this stuff and now there's like toxic plants growing everywhere and these like monocultures and all this, but how do we transform that all into right. something that's beautiful and life giving? Yeah. So the that's ghosts awesome. to me are a symbol for that transformation. Hmm.
1: Interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, all right. We've gone for uh, an hour and a half now. Do you, have something you want yeah, r- to wrap with? Yeah, I have to ask
3: my annoying end of podcast question. Okay,
1: can I ask one first? Yeah,
3: fine.
1: Uh, she, she has sort of a ritualistic thing at the end.
2: <laughs> That's good. And the last, the very last question that you asked was a good one. Did we say it all? I think we did. What was yeah, it? Yeah, it was about grief. grief.
1: Oh, yeah. grief, I yeah. We right.
2: think I think that was, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, and there's complete. so much going on there, right? Because you're talking about gratitude and, and your own sort of mental habits of... of transforming sadness into life, right? Mm -hmm. Death into life. You started by talking about how your brother's deaths Mm
0: -hmm.
1: sort of launched you Mm -hmm. into a different kind of life than you might have had otherwise. Certainly richer and more intense and sincere. Mm -hmm. And then we end with the goats eating poisonous plants and transforming that into Mm -hmm. life-giving milk. I mean, it's pretty intense, pretty good, I'd say. But what I wanted to ask you is in your... In your journeys, when you're out, I mean, you're out for months, right? In the Southwest, mm-hmm. did you say?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're out, I mean, I don't know where you go, but there aren't a lot of areas where you can actually be alone for months at a time. Right. I imagine every once in a while you run into someone out there who must be a fucking character.
2: <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to be the other like, direction. Yeah. It like was going to be shocked hike. by yeah. me. Yeah. Well, like. they're probably saying the <laughs> same like, thing.
1: That's my point. What? <laughs> Why? Because there are these filtering things. Like, I used to travel a lot, like backpacking. And, and I'd always, I love that largely because the people I met were the kind of people who did something like that. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. they're not the people who are sitting at home in mom's garage, you know, like, just hanging out. they are people who are like, fuck it, I'm going to Nepal, and I'm going to walk for five weeks, and I'm going to, you know... And so... You meet these people and they're like all interesting. Yeah. So I'm imagining you walking around in New Mexico or wherever you are. You're a month alone, and then you see some dude wandering into camp, and you're like, "Okay, who the hell are you? You must have a story, you know? (laughs) Otherwise, you wouldn't be here." (laughs) Totally. So have you have you met? I mean, do you want to? Is there someone in particular who jumps out, or some encounter that you had when you were?
2: I've definitely ran into some characters. I'm just trying to think of a good, a good, a good one, a good story. <laughs> I've definitely freaked people out. Okay. I've been the the freak in the woods right. a lot. I'm like, oh, it's so just normal. Camping over here.
1: Are you in like forest service <laughs> land or <laughs> you want?
2: Yeah. And um, all I'll, I've tried, I've tried staying on, all, you know, BLM national forest, every, you know, all kinds of stuff. I've spent time on um, private land too, uh, with permission also um, all kinds of different things. I think that's such a good question.
1: <laughs> well, no pressure. If something pops into your head,
3: it's yeah it must be funny though in the opposite direction that people are like i'm so outdoorsy i'm going on my like three-day backpacking trip and i've got all my gear and then they run into her and she
1: like lives yeah. there i i <laughs> had i had a guy in the park had the guy who who cut off his own arm do you remember that story the, like, um,
3: oh 30, yeah, 20, I, yeah yeah
2: yeah um so. Yeah, yeah there's a movie about him. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I do remember Yeah,
1: that. I had him on the podcast. Really interesting guy. Cool. But like a totally different thing. I mean, so he's out by himself running, doing a day thing, and disaster strikes. You are out for months at a time, and kept so far. It digga- I kept st- it
2: together mostly. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I mean, sometimes things happen that you just, nobody could have foreseen. Right, it. right. I mean, have you been, like, have you ever had like a rattlesnake bite or any kind of like serious life or death kind of situation?
2: Um, yeah, that's a, that's also a good question. And one thing just about your, um, the guy that got his arm smushed when you're going out for, when you know, you're going out for a long time and you're by yourself, there is a different, I'm not saying that he wasn't in that mentality, but you're like, if I get hurt, I am in a very bad situation. So I know with on alone and whenever I'm out by myself, I'm very calculative like I calculate my risks and I try to limit my risks too. Cause I know what can happen. I don't want that to happen. So I try to be careful. Um, and I have had, luckily I've never had a very bad injury with myself. I have had goats. I've had goat injuries, like goat broken. I've had a goat break a foot falling off a cliff before, um, I've had like udders ripped open from barbed wire and like lots of goat injuries, which are hard and sad to deal with, but everyone always made it through. And then I worked in wilderness therapy for many years and the teenagers were always getting hurt. So I, I did a lot. I was, um, like a first responder on lots of, lots of all kinds of things. It's another whole podcast on the wilderness therapy issues, but I had to call helicopters for people. Um, yeah, craziness. And I've driven lots of people to the hospital from the backcountry yeah. all night down a bumpy
1: road. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh that's a tough drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, time for your ritualistic end of podcast questions.
3: Uh, yeah, so I ask everyone who's on the podcast if they could recommend a book to the audience yes. that was really meaningful to them.
2: What would it be? Can it only be one? No, you can pick multiple. Okay, first Highly recommended. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't highly recommended. That goes without (laughs) saying. Nature and the Human Soul by Bill Plotkin. I feel like it's a must read. And also Braiding Sweetgrass by uh, Wall Wall Kimmer. Yeah.
3: So the funny thing about this, so I've been asking, I've had the podcast for two years and I've been asking my podcast guests to recommend books. And then eventually I have a this Patreon page where people like donate to support the podcast. And in exchange, I give them extra stuff bonus. Um, and I decided to do a book club and I decided that I was gonna do it four times a year. And each time I would pick a collection of books that podcast guests had recommended within a certain theme. Um, and I just launched the first one and the the theme was, you know, like our nature and our connection, connection to it, the planet and how we're a part of it. And Braiding Sweetgrass, one. So there's a bunch of us who listen to the podcast now who are reading that book and it's like, it's such a good, first of all, it's such a good book to read with other people mm-hmm. like that in and of itself mm-hmm. has been so synchronistic and magical, but yeah, that book is like nourishing my soul in such a profound way.
2: It's so crucial. It's yeah. such a good m- message too, because we have so many things about our culture that are just backwards. Like, Oh, humans are bad and just don't right. touch anything in nature. Cause you will break it and ruin it. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to go away in yeah. order for this to be fixed. Right. Be like, right. Yeah, industrialized civilization, sure, right. go away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but humans are very, we're crucial species in an environment hmm. and we're necessary in a healthy ecosystem. We're like a keystone species in if we're healthy individuals in a healthy ecosystem. And I love her book because it's saying the opposite of what we've been told our whole lives, which is we're just bad for the environment. But she's like, no, there's all these plants that you have to that need a relationship with people to thrive. And we need to remember what our role is here. And that
3: we are. I mean, that's the great one of the one of the many great things about that book, too. It's like she uses metaphors. Constantly, but it's almost not even a metaphor because the fact is that like humans do exist and process and live in the exact same way that plants and animals do. So it's like, it's like almost like the original metaphor to some extent. It's like everything is so holistic and works together if we allow it to. It's just such a beautiful
2: message. Absolutely. (laughs) Cool. I'm so glad you're getting that book out there. I just feel there's a few books that just like, you it will just help all of us be yeah. figure out where we need to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Attending the wild. Also another good one. Sweet. Thanks, you guys.
1: Okay, mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay. In our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. <laughs> Sex at Dawn. Civilized to Death. Anthropology. Tangentially speaking, paleo modern and talking out of my ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized to death. Right. We have stickers and car decals right yes okay there you have it that's julie my mom
4: he said baby what's a big deal feel what you want to feel say what you want to say you're gonna die one day for example i could kiss you That's because I want to what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone body is an animal doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a bird cave, singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone